And this is Thursday Finance and Barry Preston. What's happening with the commodities at the moment? Well, um, interesting. Uh, gold has uh, risen above US dollars is 1320 but Australian dollars, it's 1466 It's up another $35. So there's a little bit more interest in gold. But the big winner of the week was silver, jumping 23%. It's up $5.20 an ounce to $27.74. Now, I mentioned some time ago that I thought that there was a big short-selling situation in the world as far as silver is concerned, meaning people are selling, not people, but big institutions sell it on the point that it'll drop and they can buy it back and make a profit. Well, they may be caught with their pants down. You never know. That's jumped $5.20. That's a lot per ounce or 23% an ounce. Copper's up only $38 a tonne to $8,026. Nickel's ahead $168 in Australian to $16,082 per tonne. Tin is uh, $1,090 ahead or 4% to $25,824. I'm also interested in tin. I think tin's going to be a very interesting metal uh, over time. Very, it's not, you know, it's not found in, uh, in big heaps. And the, uh, the adjective tinny that we use to mean something that's not really very valuable doesn't apply anymore does it no and absolutely when we say we're going to kick the tin down the road that's galvanized iron or it rusts tin does not rust i think tin is 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 the the fe the iron where with the actual thing that we call tin is sn s for sydney and vanilla that's the scientific symbol i'm not a scientist but i believe that's right um Australian, let's look at the currencies. The US dollar, 90, 90 US cents to an Australian dollar. Uh, British pence, 53.9 British pence. Chinese, yuan rinminbi, no change over the week, 5.46 uh, Chinese yuan rinminbi to the Australian dollar. The New Zealand, you would get approximately 108.7 cents. Now, I think I've been saying this the wrong way. The euro... 0.65 or 0.65 of a euro to the Australian dollar. I think I've been saying 65 euros. Not 65 no. euro cents is fine. Well, it might be 65 euro cents, yeah, but 0.65 euros to the Australian dollar. Canada, basically on par, 99.9 Canadian cents to the Australian dollar. If you're heading to Poland, you would get 2.73 Polish Zolties, I think they call them, Z-L-O-T-Y. So if you're heading to Poland, that's approximately what you would get to the Australian dollar. Our markets, well, they've all been positive except for one, of course, the, not of course, but the Japanese went backwards. The market, the Australian All Ordinary is up 95 uh, points or 0.78 of 1% to 5,414. The American uh, Dow ahead uh, 77 points. It uh, was not even half a percent, one was it 16,040 and the Nasdaq was 36 points ahead or 0.85 of a percent to 4,235. The big winner was the British FTSE 6,796 ahead 121 points or 1.8 percent. The Nikkei was down 34 points, didn't register on the percentage bar. It's down to 14,766. The Hang Seng, 379 points ahead or 1.7 to 22,666. Oil, interesting. (coughs) Pardon me. American oil is ahead Australian $3.53 a barrel to 114.78. And the Australian tapas oil, 129.85, that's $2.14 a barrel ahead over what it was last week. And as far as uh, the uh, petrol bowser, Newcastle, 152, <coughs> pardon me, for unleaded, 152 cents, that's down 0.5 of one cent. Diesel, no change. Newcastle, 
Sorry, the Central Coast, 150.3. It's still cheaper there. There's no change on the Central Coast. Newcastle Diesel, 161. That's down 0.4 of one cent. And the Central Coast, very little change there. 162.1 versus 162.2 last week. The big loser are the motorists in Sydney. Their petrol's up 11.4 cents. A litre to 157.3 for the unleaded. Wow, that's a big jump, actually. And the diesel, 158.8, very little change there. Looking at it from the currency point of view, there shouldn't really be any change that much. But uh, as we know, it all jumps around. And, of course, people are saying because there could be a petrol shortage because of Coots transport trucks. There may be, but it still shouldn't affect the price of petrol. To NURFM 25 past 12, and this is Thursday Finance. And Barry Preston, time for our market snapshot. And comments made during our program are for general discussion. You must always seek your own advice, and a product disclosure statement should be obtained and considered before obtaining a financial product. Staff associated with Pritchard & Partners or BBY Limited Stockbrokers may hold or trade shares in companies mentioned on the program. Pritchard's Financial Services Licence, 246712BBY. 238095. Well, Henry, it's on. The reporting season's well underway. What's your thoughts on Rio Tinto? Is it the new chief executive? And is it copper mine in, was it Chile where it had a big collapse? On uh, it was in, uh, in Bingham Canyon was the, uh, the big collapse, and that seems to be uh, getting back on track. Um, they're recovering that better. Um, I, I guess, um, you know, Rio's been doing very well out of the iron ore price, as has BHP, as has Fortescue yesterday, which reported. So they're all doing pretty well, Barry, at the moment, I have to say. And um, it looks like it's going to continue for a little while to come. But, uh, you know, it always helps to get a new man at the helm. Their capex is down by 26 and I think they've sacked 4,000 people around the world, so that helps as well. <laughs> BHP. They're in a bit of a sweet spot. There's cash everywhere, more dividend, oh. and, of course, cut, cut, cut to their capital expenditure. What about mm. the big mine in Roxbury Down, South Australia, Olympic Park or Olympic Dam, I think Olympic they call it? Dam. Any news um, there? No, no news there. All the news really is all about the Pilbara, all about iron ore. Uh, and capital management issues, I guess, with BHP. They up the dividend. Um, they are a, a massive machine. They're churning out billions and billions of dollars in profits. Um, and like Rio, they're cutting their um, their sort of project pipeline. Um, they're slowing down things and they're cutting other projects. And they're also uh, getting more efficiencies out of the workforce. So squeezing the lemon a little bit harder, I think, is uh, one of the terms, but uh, certainly uh, looking quite good at the moment. They're 39.13 as we speak. They've had uh, I think this is uh, bar yesterday. The te- would be the tenth day of ups for BHP. Mm. Big Fortis- rally. Big rally. Fortescue Metals, I believe, it had a record profit, and is it going to pay a maiden dividend? And uh, I, I, did I read that it's going to pay back more debt? They're talking in the billions too. I, I don't know if you can call Andrew Forrest a maiden, but they're certainly going to pay him a dividend. Oh, fair about, enough. About, about $106 million, I think, he's going to get. Uh, um, so, yes, they're, um, they're, they're, uh, they're certainly doing very well. The stock's up again today. Um, they had some good numbers yesterday. Again, this, uh, this iron ore story, you know, it just continues to go uh, stronger and stronger. It looks like their, um, their cost of actually producing iron ore is decreasing rapidly. So even around $121, $122 a tonne, with the Aussie a little bit weaker than it used to be. Uh, these guys are making off like bandits at the moment, so they're paying down debt, and they're paying their first ever dividend. Mm. Mm. I remember once upon a time watching some fantastic ads on television that things did go better with Coke, but unfortunately I think Pepsi's uh, going to do a lot better than Coke. Coke's not doing as well as it should. That's CCL Amatol we're talking about. 
Yes, I have to apologise. It's not full excuse, first ever dividend. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's their biggest one, shall we uh-huh. say. Um, anyway, um, no, Coke's not having a good time at the moment. They've been in a, a bit of a price war locally with, um, with Pepsi. They're also struggling a little bit in Indonesia. And, of course, they've got the well-publicised issues down at uh, in Victoria with the SPC. Um, business down there, which is um, which is struggling to compete with cheap imports, which are just being dumped uh, in our supermarkets by the Italians and various other people, which is always nice of them. Mm-hmm. So, um, so they are struggling. Um, I guess the only good thing that they've got going for them is that. Um, Mm, not sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think of something, but uh, no, I, I was thinking maybe the sugar price is helping them, but uh, yeah. you know, that, that being quite low at the moment is helping, but uh, that's about it, I'm afraid. Uh, well, Hills Industries, the old rotary clothes hoist maker, has turned the corner with a 14 million profit. I think last year, equivalent was a minus 73 million. And the boss said that they've got about 300 million in the kitty for acquisitions. Keen on healthcare, electronics, telco, wow. Yeah, it's a diverse grab bag of things to uh, things to go for, isn't it? Um, I reckon. Yeah, I always get a bit worried when people step outside of their um, their sort of uh, skill set. But uh, anyway, they, they've done a they've done a pretty good job. The boss has turned it around pretty well. So it's uh, I guess it's one of the the few sort of manufacturing Australian success stories we have at the moment. So um, um, you know that that's that's pretty good. I've got to say we we don't have many of those, and the press loves to. Uh, blast people but these these guys have done all right mm, that iconic name dick smith now we normally associate dick smith with electronics but i think he's got another company going at the moment and it's not doing as well as it should um well i was thinking more of the electronics people but oh. uh if, if you want to talk about dick dick smith uh, i mean the electronics people did uh did uh, better than their forecast in their prospectus this week um, mm. but the shares still didn't do too well so there was a little bit of a concern about where the growth's coming from, um, but they have perked up a little bit today. They're up three percent, mm. but um, yeah, they have been. It has been a kind of a, a volatile road for Dick as uh, uh, since they've been listed. Yeah, interesting. So. So- Sonic Healthcare. Wow, what happened there? That hit something big, didn't it? And they're yeah. talking about buying in USA and Germany. Go, go, go! Let's take over the world. There's 23 million of us, you know. <laughs> Look out! They are Sonic Healthcare. Um, certainly. Um, you know, it's another one of these uh, great success stories that we've that we've got. I mean, they're um, they're a medical diagnostic company, um, and what they do, what they've done very well, is is sort of um, take away some of the risk because one of the biggest risks to um, diagnostic services is, of course, regulatory risk because of whether the governments pay uh, for these services um, or not. So they they mitigate that by uh, expanding geographically so that they're not reliant on one area. So Sonic have done pretty good job um, again another another great australian success story up to uh, you know just shy of 17 bucks again so mm. you know, looking pretty good there we saw it happen in the us of a a mortgage war intensifies i noticed in the finance review yesterday that there's a uh, the banks are cutting some of their interest rates on home loans between 500,000 and 750,000 did we not see this in the usa in about 2007 2008 we did. Um, it's not so much the rates that um, that worried the world then, or, or were so attractive then. What was really bad then was the the, the, the sort of relaxation of the rules as to as to who you could actually lend to. Um, that was what really caused the damage, and they they just lent to anybody that had a pulse, and in some <laughs> cases some that didn't have a pulse. 
Um, so that was the real problem. People that had no chance of ever, ever, ever paying back any of the money they'd borrowed. They also had, um, I remember, exploding uh, reset mortgages, uh, which were called automatic reset mortgages. So they had a, a cheap rate to begin with and then ratcheted up massively after two or three years. And, of course, everyone thought they could buy their houses and in a year's time, you know, slap a coat of paint on, sell it for double. Um, but the, when the market collapsed, um, the house prices collapsed as everybody's mortgage suddenly spiked and no one could get rid of any houses. Mm, so I don't think we've got the same problem here. We haven't got the same mentality. I think I'm right in saying that 80% of the mortgages are written by the big four banks now, yes. which is uh, a massive amount of concentration of power. And every now and then they kind of pretend to have a bit of a war about pricing, but you know they basically all get to go over beer, I reckon. You reckon a beer or wine? Uh, we won't go down that track. Probably, yes. Coffee. This is Thursday Finance. It's 25 to 1. And Barry Preston, we're in our market snapshot, heading overseas. We're heading overseas. And first of all, Spain's doing well, or is this just paper, is this just paper talk? <laughs> well, I think, you know, it's the duty of every leader to talk their country up um, and talk their prospects up. Confidence has so much to do with, uh, with markets, with how they're perceived. And the Spanish are certainly confident about their recovery. Unfortunately, it doesn't really translate into real-time uh, data as they've still got uh, record unemployment, record bad debts on their housing market. Um, and But, you know, things are gradually improving in Europe. But I think we're going to it's going to be a decade or, or two before uh, things get back to, uh, to where they were if they ever do get back to where they were in Europe. And the UK inflation's down and so is growth. They've got low rates. I believe they may win the World Cup. And we can we talk about cricket? Uh, let's not. Okay. Let's not, Barry. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the UK's actually been doing quite well. One of the beauties of, uh, of owning your own currency and being able to, to, uh, to, to grow your way out through devaluing your currency, which is what they've done with, with the pound, of course, um, is starting to show through. And, and we're starting to see some, uh, some evidence of, uh, of a goodish growth happening in the UK. Um, inflation is sort of under control to maybe to an extent that maybe you know, we, we could get some deflation in the UK, which is always a bit of a concern. Um, and the, uh, the Bank of England Governor, Mark Carney, um, is looking pretty chuffed with himself at the moment. I suspect the next rate might rise will be, uh, well, well, the next rate move in the UK will be up, um, but uh, not, not for a little while. But things are certainly a lot better there than they were. Look, let's not stop the party. The USA economics uh, figures are not as good as they should be, but hey, look, everything's still powering ahead over there, or is it? Well, they've had a, a string of, shall we say, somewhat underwhelming um, economic reports, and they seem to be blaming the weather primarily for these uh, economic reports. As, as listeners will know, that it's been very cold and very snowy in the U.S. Um, in the last uh, two or three months, uh, unseasonably, and this has had some major effects on their economy, um, and we're starting to see that now. How much of it is the weather and how much is underlying weakness remains to be seen, but uh, we shall find out in the, uh, the months to come. But at the moment, most things are being explained away by, oh, it was a bit chilly out there. Uh, well, that's cold comfort. We'll see what happens. Italy has, oh. a new, Italy has a new Prime Minister. Maybe he can turn the economic lights on? Uh, maybe, maybe he can throw a party. Um, yeah, they do have uh, a new uh, a new PM. I think uh, I think they've only had two uh, elected prime ministers since 2008 out of the uh, the five I think they've had. So uh, they're doing pretty well. 
Um, they, they, they've been taking lessons from the Australian Labour Party, I think, in mm. this one. But uh, he's, he's younger. They've traded the old one in for a younger model, basically. Whether he can do any better than the older model remains to be seen. Um, and, of course, there's always uh, our friend Silvio uh, Bungasconi uh, lurking in the background somewhere as well. And I believe China dumped something like uh, $48 billion of its U.S. assets, and I, still, I think it's still got about $1.2 trillion left. Who bought them, do you know? Um, apparently, it was a bunch of people from Belgium hmm. uh, that bought them, which uh, translates to the Europeans. Um, so uh, I think Brussels basically uh, was the, uh, the net buyer of U.S. treasuries, and the Chinese have been uh, selling uh, them, and they've also been tightening their uh, their, their mm. credit markets as well. We've seen more tightening in the last couple of days as they still try to rein in their sort of uh, runaway property markets and various other markets that seem to be uh, escalating out of control. So, um, you know, still some concerns with China, um, but uh, the jury's out at the moment. I think they took about 8.8 .8 billion out of the market or something like. Anyway, Henry, it's thank a you. Huge amount. Yeah, <laughs> we're talking billions now. Next next week we're going to be talking in trillions. Henry, thank you very much indeed. Keep safe. See you next week. Thank you, Barry. Bye. Henry Jennings and our market snapshot. Thursday, finance. Barry Preston, our special guest. And one of Australia's best-known financial and political journalists, Terry McCran. Let's get into it, Terry. Rate reductions are on the, uh, it appear to be on hold in Australia, but it appears that if you look in some of the press and listen to the radio or the TV, they're starting to gain momentum and there's a few little increases worldwide. I can't see another 25 uh, basis point cut doing any good in Australia. What's your thoughts on it? Good afternoon, Barry. Nice to be with you again. Lovely. Yes. Thank uh, you. I think the important point we made, Barry, is that both rate cuts and potential rate increases are on hold. So that the Reserve Bank has made it very clear that it wants to keep interest rates, its interest rate, and therefore most interest rates in the economy stable, steady for some for some considerable months ahead. You know, subject of course to something coming out of left field and changing changing things. Uh, the, the, the rates that matter overseas to us are the ones are the ones in America because they basically determine the state of financial flows and the state of interest rates globally. So the, it, the US interest rates are very important. They, as we know, are almost at zero, and they are going to stay there for some considerable time as well. So we're not going to see an increase in the US rate uh, probably this year, I wouldn't think. Uh, the other rate that matters to us, Barry, is Japan, uh, because Japan is following what America did in pumping a lot of money into the global economy and whether they stop doing that or whether they keep doing that, that's very important to the flows of money around the world. So those are the two that matter and the one in Australia, but basically they all look like they'll stay unchanged for the foreseeable future. Uh, Terry, it intrigues me how the Reserve Bank basically projects its thoughts. Uh, to hint that something is of concern or looks like things are, it never really says bang, this is it. Is well, that their basis? or? Well, as a general comment, that, that's true, Barry, but they've made it very clear with interest rates. They've been more than unusually frank over the last month about interest rates, and they did that very deliberately because when, they, when the inflation numbers came out last uh, for the December quarter, they showed inflation going up, and that would cause most people to start to say, aha, the Reserve Bank will have to be thinking about raising rates because that's its main concern, fighting inflation. And so the Reserve Bank was very, very keen to, to lay that 
brought to rest, that it didn't think the inflation was serious enough to force it to raise rates, and therefore it wanted to make that clear. But generally, yes, you're right. And um, I guess over the years that the Reserve Bank has become a little less Delphic in its thought, in the way it communicates, and it's been prepared to be a little more direct. So it's been on a journey, I guess, like we all have, in terms of communication. Look, um, it must be a frustrating thing for the Reserve Bank and probably a lot of business in general. Our currency is stubborn, holding around the 90-cent mark. I mean, it's been up over the dollar or around about the dollar ten. But um, this, of course, has a lot to do with our interest rates, where the dollar is. Absolutely. And, and it's a very, very delicate situation. I mean, if the dollar, there are pluses and minuses in the dollar going down or the dollar going up. When, it's over, when it was up over a dollar against the US dollar. Uh, that was pretty good for, for, for most consumers. It, puts a, it means that petrol is cheaper. It means that all those consumer goods that we import are cheaper. It means overseas travel is cheaper. But, of course, it hurts local, local manufacturers and those trying to compete against imports. Uh, if the dollar goes down, as, it, you know, as it, we've had in the past, down in the low 50s, uh, all that's reversed. I mean, consumers then get hurt by higher petrol prices, by higher imports and but manufacturers and producers are in better shape. So it's always, we're always trying to find some midpoint, some balance between those two things where we don't get too much weighted one way or the other. Where it is at 90 cents, it's probably still weighted a bit too favourably to consumers and a bit too much against uh, producers, local producers. And I guess, well, I, I don't guess, I know the Reserve Bank would like it to be somewhat lower, to be in the mid-80s now, it's hoping that what's happening in America will cause the American dollar to go up and therefore they'll do the work for us, that that will mm. cause it to go gently down into the 80s. But we've got to be careful, Barry. We don't want to see uh, something you know, like replays of what we had in the, in the 1980s where Paul Keating was talking about banana republics because the dollar was, was well down oh, yes. in, the, mm. in the 50s and 60s. This frustrates me. I think it's idiotic and absolutely stupid. We have control over this. We don't have control over our currency and all this sort of thing. But regulations, government regulations, local, state, federal, when will someone have the fortitude to actually cut regulations instead of yaggity, 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 yak? <laughs> Bluntly, Barry, I think the answer to that is never. You know, I mean, you get a bit of fiddling at the edges. But there is such, such, it's, I mean, it's so politically difficult for people. People talk about it all the time. Every government that comes in says we're going to cut red tape, and at the end of their <laughs> period in government, there's twice as much red tape as there was before, because every little bit of red tape appeals to some constituency or seems to be doing, doing good, you know, to some very narrow purpose. But, but it, it is probably the single most crushing burden on employers out there and particularly small businesses. Big businesses can employ people to deal with red tape but if you're, a, if you're running a business which, which you know, most of your listeners are in this category uh, where, where you're the sole owner, you're the sole proprietor, you've got to deal with everything you've got to deal with all the red tape uh, it's a real burden and I've got to say I can't see anybody being, being brave enough and courageous enough either at the state or the federal level, to really sweep, sweep the, really, the, the really unnecessary parts away. And it would be so great for Australia. It really would. I mean, we can control it. Anyway, let's not go down that track. Somebody's well, got to right, be... Well, you're right, Barry. It's the one oh, thing. Dear. It's the one thing that should be easy, 
Uh, it's obviously absolutely necessary, and yet it's not going to happen. <laughs> Terry, how about you and I run for... No, we won't. Hang anyway. <laughs> Barry Preston, we're talking with Terry McCran. Of course we are, and of, uh, one of Australia's best-known financial and political journalists. Look, Terry, there's been a lot of talk about government assistance is needed here and there. Uh, first of all, government assistance is taxpayer funds. We should know that. Now, let's look first at two, General Motors and Toyota. Now, these things didn't happen overnight. What? Of, of course they didn't. I think ultimately, Barry, that we, we had to face, face up to the fact that... Uh, it makes no sense to make cars in Australia. Not when we've got, uh, if the dollar was 50 cents, you might be able to, might be able to sustain that argument. But given the resources boom and the way that the resources boom is underwriting, uh, the, the high value in the dollar, and this, that's not going to go away. And I, you know, I, as we discussed, I certainly don't want to see it go away in the sense of going back to 50 cents. And given the changing nature of a consumer demand, if you're going to make a, a car that um, you could make anywhere in the world, not like our old Holdens and uh, Commodores and uh, Falcons, uh, when we did buy a lot of those, um, there's really no point in making it in Australia. So at the end of the day, I don't think government assistance would have, would have kept them going. I mean, we've already given them billions of dollars over the years. Uh, but all the other factors also came into play, like the industrial relations inflexibilities in the workforce. And you saw that critically in the case of Toyota at the end, where the, where the unions went to court to stop the, the, the uh, company reopening the discussion with the workers, uh, not to really cut their wages, but to just make them to create a better flexibility in the actual working conditions. And uh, I mean that was the that was the final straw I think that that forced the decision. If they couldn't get that sort of rearrangement with their workforce, uh, given all the other factors, they they just had to close. Okay, let's look at Qantas now. Qantas is Australia's national airline. It's uh, owned by shareholders now. And compare it to Virgin. Now I could be wrong here, but I thought Virgin had some. Uh, uh, foreign ownership as far as uh, sovereign countries owning shares, like Emirates, I believe, uh, own shares in Virgin. Right, you're certainly not wrong, Barry, and uh, it's not the case of some ownership. The three foreign airlines, all of which have government ownership uh, to some extent, Etihad and uh, Singapore, you know, Etihad from the Middle East, Singapore from Singapore, obviously, and Air New Zealand, uh, control about 70, 70% of Virgin now, and it's, it's, uh, whereas Qantas, it's, it's, the Qantas Sale Act prohibits foreign ownership of Qantas beyond a certain point. And uh, you've got a situation where the other airlines are using Virgin to compete against Qantas and to benefit themselves in their global operations. And really there are two levels to the sort of support that Qantas is seeking. And, and once one level is to put it on a level playing field so that it can get foreign investors to invest in it so you can get the same access to the capital that Virgin has. Uh, and I think that's something that has to be done. The second level is a bit more con controversial, which is Qantas wanting the government to guarantee its borrowings. And that's where I think you're getting into dangerous territory, where, in effect, we'd be re-nationalising Qantas. We'd be re-buying it for the, for, the, for the public, and I don't think for the gut state. And I don't think we want to go there. Um, so, but the, it, it, Qantas has a legitimate argument to be at least free to compete fairly with uh, Virgin and everybody else. 
Interesting. Okay, now let's jump over to China. We see so much in the paper that things are going well. The next day things are not going well. China's got this, China's got that. What's your slant on it? Um, I really can't give you a definitive answer, Barry. I couldn't say categorically that China's going to keep on doing what it's been doing, which has been so advantageous to us. Uh, All I can say is that right now it looks you know, it looks reasonable that they'll keep going at some level of, of strength and some level of growth. Uh, but it's a very complex place, China, <laughs> and it's got all its own stresses and strains. And we tend to look at China as if it's some sort of, you know, do no wrong. They, they, can, they can just keep powering along and uh, producing more and more steel, building more and more high-rise buildings, uh, pumping out more exports into the global marketplace and I'd have to say that I feel that we are now totally dependent on China for our prosperity. Uh, People mightn't appreciate that particularly but it's the case that we are now, you know, if China was to fall over we would be in serious trouble. Uh, More than, you know, more serious than anything we've seen in the past but right now it looks like it's at least going to keep going at a certain level of degree but you know, I'd always have a certain caution about uh, where it will end up or, or where it might be in three or five years' time. As time always beats us, the last question and a very quick one, inflation, from your point of view, what do you see locally and worldwide? Not much, Barry. So I think that's one, one positive point, that we're looking at inflation being uh, pretty much dormant, uh, for, again, for the foreseeable future, for this year and next year. There are some pressure points. Uh, particularly with the dollar coming down, that we're going to see petrol prices be higher than they would otherwise be. But broadly, I think the inflation outlook looks pretty benign. Terry, thank you very much indeed. Keep safe and won't be long. We'll have you back again to find out what's happening. (laughs) Thank you very much, Barry.